Hey guys, welcome to the third episode of the Reframe Sales Podcast. I'm your host Adi and today we intend to learn about uh, a framework called as Medpick or Medic, which has now evolved into Medpick, right? Before we dive into the framework itself, please like and subscribe to our podcast. It really helps and motivates us to create more content like this. So back to the podcast. Um, Medpick is a sales framework that is great for discovery and can that really gives the seller better control over the deal journey. I've used this myself in the past. And the purpose of this framework is to help sellers narrow down the leads with the highest chance of conversion into paying customers. It really empowers the sellers to go close more deals and have a more um, predictable closure or a predictable pipeline, right? So to walk us through this framework, I have with me a friend and an ex-colleague, Asim. Asim is live with us all the way from London. Uh, it's his birthday. He's still joined in. So thank you for that. And he's the managing director at Question Pro UK. He also has multiple PNLs that roll up in, uh, under his uh, portfolio. Canada, South Africa, Japan. These are all the PNLs also that he's managing active, actively. So he's going to walk us through the framework MedPick, and he's also going to kind of walk us through as a leader, how it benefits him. So over to you, Asim. Fantastic. Adi, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Let's go for it. So MedPick, uh, I think it's something that maybe a lot of pe people in sales have kind of been hearing about, right? It's, uh, it's a long it's a new buzzword. It's constantly changing, right? And I think, I think in some ways that kind of keeps people away from it, right? You know, you I think right. so many people know BANT, right? B-A-N-T, super easy to remember, budget, authority, need, timeline, and that makes it really easy. And that's kind of the, the framework that I've always used on my teams and when I think about kind of discovery and qualification. Right. Um, those are typically the four boxes that you think about, right? Budget, authority, right. need, timeline. Um, and I think MedPick has been somewhat you know, I've been hesitant to adopt it because it's so freaking hard to remember and there's so many characters and you're like, well, it, is it really necessary, right? When you can think about right. the fact that you can have something so simple like band. Um, but we've started to kind of implement this over the last two quarters and, you know, we're taking it slow. We're kind of rolling it out one by one. I'm really making sure that, you know, each of the account managers gets behind it and they kind of see the value in it if they're going to put the time into it. You know, I'm not a huge right. believer in and mandating things from the top down. I think that it's it's gotta be something that they believe in uh, if they're gonna really use it and work with it. Um, right. But the reason why we've kind of started going towards MedPick is because it really helps you kind of manage the entire deal from an enterprise perspective. And Absolutely. I think that's really kind of the, the transition that we're going through uh, at Question Pro, especially in many of the in-region markets, right? We, we came from a place, if you kind of, now think about our journey at Question Pro. We started back in 2005, and it was very much kind of an inbound machine, right? It was, hey, it's a premium model. 95% of people are just going to sign up for the free version. And yeah, you know, you'll get some single digit percentage of them to kind of sign up for some, some base level paid version. Um, right. And sometimes they'll just put their credit card down and they'll pay for it. Other times they want to come in and talk to a sales rep and get some questions answered. And that's kind of the model that only goes so far, right? It ends up being really transactional. Um, it ends up being pretty low deal sizes. 
And it's got to be really kind of high volume types of deals, which is where Bant can work really well, right? Because you get right. somebody on the phone, you've got, you know, hundreds of leads coming in every single day. And really all you're trying to do is figure out which one should I spend some time with? And then Bant kind of helps you, right? It's like, okay, do right. you have a budget? Yes or no? If you don't, I'm not going to continue the conversation with you. Do you have the authority to make a decision? Okay, no, I'm not going to continue the conversation. Then need is like, they're coming in inbound, right? So they're basically just going to tell you what their needs are. I need this feature. I need that feature. Okay, we have it. We don't have it. Here's how to use it. And then timeline, when can you sign the contract? That's kind of it. But it only leads to deal sizes that are so big. MedPick really actually gives you a framework for how do I manage a solution sale? How do I really get to what's going to drive the budget? What's going to drive the win? And how do I have a roadmap from the very start of that deal all the way to the end and winning that deal? So whereas Bant is kind of there to help you figure out which leads you should actually be spending time with, MedPick is less about narrowing down the leads and more about giving you a framework to help increase your conversion rate through the deal cycle itself. Right. So let's kind of break it down and talk about all the, le- the letters that are in MedPick, <laughs> right? There's a... There's eight of them to kind of remember and think about. Um, but again, that's where you get your roadmap, right? It's, it's not a one call type of thing. You're not going to solve all eight of these factors in one call, but it's going to give you a roadmap throughout the um, the entire deal cycle. So, so before we dive into the abbreviation itself, from your personal experience, has Bant been more beneficial when you are doing commercial sales, right? Like for example, there are going to be leads that come your route um, as an account executive, as a seller. And you can identify that, you know what, this is a smaller opportunity just by metadata, et cetera, right? You know. So at that particular time, does it make more sense to just do a quick shift, get the right information, provide that reactive information and try to close that in the door? Is that how you're thinking about it? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I think if your average deal cycle is like one to two months, you know, commercial high volume transactional business, uh, business, MedPick is probably overkill. Um, you know, you're not even going to find, you know, find answers to all eight letters within a two month period. Right. And, you know, right. that's where Bant kind of says, all right, let me quickly sift through these. And that's where, you know, Bant is really about letting the lead tell you what they want. Right. So like the budget question is both it's both a binary, but it's also really like, hey, you came to us, you know, tell me your budget so I can just give you the appropriate pricing plan. Right. Like we've got three or four options and I'll just help you kind of select which one makes the most sense for you and for your budget. Um, You know, timeline, like when do you want to get it done? Right. You know, like tell me and I'll set up the follow up call. I'll send out the appropriate, you know, the, the proposal at the appropriate time. Um, so Bant is almost more about letting your lead almost kind of drive the conversation, right? Which inbound transactional, that's kind of what you want, right? You don't want to overcomplicate it, but as soon as you kind of move towards your enterprise solution sale, your, you know, three, six, nine, 12 month plus deal cycles, that's where MedPick can really help, um, to both increase conversion rates, but also increase deal sizes. Um, and bring in much better customers at the end of the day. Right. Makes sense. Cool. So let's dive into the framework itself. Cool. All right. So MedPick. So we start with metrics. Um, Metrics is an interesting one, right? 
right? We're not asking for your budget. We're not asking for your needs, but we're trying to understand with metrics is what's the actual ROI of the potential potential solution, right? What's how do right. we quantify the problem that you actually have? Um, so let's take Question Pro for an example, right? Somebody comes to us and says, you know, hey, I'm looking for some some survey software. Well, why are you looking for some survey software, right? Are, are you trying to automate your research? Are you trying to do more research faster? Are you right. trying to create some sort of asset or some sort of study that's going to help you make a business decision? Now, when you look at it from that perspective, all of those are pretty big questions, right? Are you trying to automate your research? Well, let's dive into the metrics, right? How much, how much time can I save you? How many man hours can I remove from your process by automating your research? How many more studies can you run if you're automating your research? Well, all of those have a dollar figure associated with them. Um, right. Hey, you want to do a study in order to make a big business decision, right? Should I enter this market? What should my packaging design look like? Well, there's an ROI behind that, right? What could be the cost right. of you entering a market where there is no market? It could be massive. It could be huge. So you see with metrics, like we're getting into the nitty gritty of what the actual value is of both the problem and the solution. And in all of those cases, those are pretty big numbers, right? I'm going to automate your entire research team. We're looking at an ROI of hundreds of thousands of dollars when you do that. Right. Hey, we're helping you select which markets you should go into. And we're reducing the risk of going into the wrong market and potentially spending millions of dollars going into the wrong market or launching the wrong product. Those are big, big solutions. And now you're not just talking about survey software, which could actually be a relatively small price point or small budget according uh, to just saying, hey, I just want some survey software. I want a link that I can send out to answer a few questions. Well, that's pretty small. But when you focus on the metrics, you start to understand, okay, what's the actual solution? What's the need? And then what are all the things that come with that, right? The software could be a component. The respondents could be the component. Managed services could be a component. There's right. other things that you need to look at in terms of scale and value. So that's kind of where you start with, with metrics, right? How do you quantify the, the business challenge and the potential solution that I can bring to somebody? On, on metrics, I wanted to ask you, for example, does this also qualify under metrics? And just so that for everybody that's listening is when you are trying to quantify a solution that you've done in the past for one of your customers, right? So for example, many a times, and this has happened to me personally, is that it's very, it get, it takes time to quantify your buyer's problem uh, to a number, right? It takes, it takes a fair longer time. You need to do a very deep level of discovery to kind of get to that number. But I've found it in my experience that, you know, what sometimes also showcasing what you have done in the past with some other prospects with some quantifying metrics could help create that metrics as well as a little bit of credibility, right? Uh, so maybe that can also be be the starting step for the metrics. And then the, the, the perfect way to get it is to quantify your buyer's uh, problem in, um, in a number, right? So that's, that's exactly. I think, just for everybody listening, you can also use your past solutions and show that, you know what, I worked with this customer and we were able to increase uh, or get a return on investment by 20% or something like that, right? Exactly. exactly. And you're touching on, I think, two really big differences between Bant and MedPay. Um, that one, MedPick takes longer, right? You're not going to find answers to, to, 
you know, you're not going to find full answers to any of these questions on the first call. Um, you know, metrics is going to take you maybe even four or five, six calls to exactly. really get down to what is the right ROI calculation? How does the customer think about it? Um, so that's number one, right? With I think with Bant, right. it becomes kind of a, a box checking exercise, right? It's like, how do I check all these boxes on the first call? And then, you know, a lot of people implement that into the CRM, right? You can't actually create an opportunity or a deal until you have all of those boxes filled in. So it becomes right. a very quick thing, right? Let me just check the boxes. So that's kind of the first difference is that MedPick happens over a longer period of time and you're constantly filling in that information and filling in those boxes. The other difference is that we talked about like Bant, it's the customer telling you. MedPick, you're kind of working with the customer to come up with it together, right? Exactly. I would never expect a customer to come to me if I ask on the first call, hey, what's the ROI of the, uh, of the solution that you're looking at here? They're not going to have an answer for you. They don't think about it that way. So you exactly. as the seller kind of have to ask the questions. Okay, you want to automate your research. Why do you want to automate your research? How many people are on your team? Where does it take the longest amount of time for each of those people in each of the studies? How many studies are you doing a year? Okay, I've learned some stuff on the first call. Now, maybe the second call, I start to put them a case study in front of them and say, hey, this client was able to take out this part and this part and this part of the research process. It saved them 30% of their time. Do you kind of feel like that might be the same uh, situation as you if we kind of implemented something like this? 30% of your time. Oh, okay. So maybe we can save 30% of your time. You told me that you've got five people on the team. So that could potentially be a cost savings of two head count, or it could actually be increasing your team's capacity by 30%. Let me create a slide that tells that storyline and then ask you, does that sound right? Is this the way that you think about it? Is this the way that your team thinks about it? And now you've actually started to fill in the end so, in method. A lot of deep questions are needed for to get the metrics i swear like if you if you think you're just going to try to throw a dart in, in the blind and try to get it i don't think it's going to happen you really need to you need to be extremely curious unwrap slowly and i think you will be able to then understand that okay this is the this is the metrics that we need to kind of focus on so exactly. that makes sense exactly let's keep moving exactly and so you're going to see that with all of the letters of MedPick, right? That all of them are going to come from smart, lots of questions over time and almost kind of informing the, the potential buyer. So the E in MedPick stands for economic buyer. Um, who, who would be making kind of the budgetary decisions? Is it a board of people? Is it a single person? Um, somewhat similar to authority in Bant. Um, but again, you know, this constantly changes, right? And, and you're going right. to learn different things through the deal cycle that, hey, you know, I thought it was this person, but it's actually a committee of people or it's a board of people. You're going to constantly be relearning that. You're going to be constantly trying to get in touch with that economic buyer so that you can hear their thoughts, hear their perspectives, hear their priorities. And you can see you're not really asking for what's the budget, but you're kind of putting the metrics together with the economic buyer to come up with an informed assumption or idea for what the budget will actually be uh, based on the size of the problem and who would be funding it. Right. And that's basically where the budget is coming from, right? Is it coming from the research team? Does that, is that where the budget is it coming from the marketing team? Who's who in the end has the ultimate authority on that budget, exactly. right? That's your economic buyer. 
it's i can guarantee you most of the time that's not the person you're talking to uh it's definitely that budget is rolling up somewhere else so you really need to get to so you need to find out where that's rolling out to right um that exactly. also gives you chances for example if you are working if you're trying to work with somebody in research and the budget is rolls up under the vp of sales or some cio your chances of getting into that budget is very low if the yeah. budget rolled up under the head of research great you have a faster chance to get access to that budget so you can create your strategy accordingly exactly awesome. exactly and a lot of times it's not even the person that they say it is right that you're you're talking to your <laughs> champion they say it's their boss and then you just have to keep on questioning it right it's like it's actually not right. their boss right it goes two levels ahead or there's a a board or a committee or actually you know their boss is the insights director but the budget for this is actually going to come from marketing um, and then your job is to go talk to those people, right? And actually figure out what makes them tick, right? I mean, you know, if the, if the budget's coming from the VP of sales, like there's a lot less likelihood that you're going to win that deal unless you actually go talk to the VP of sales. And the VP of sales should want you to talk to them because, well, they're funding this thing at the end of the day. So then we get to the, the first D in MedPIC, decision process, right? And again, we're not asking for a timeline. What we're asking for is what what is the process that you're going to go through to make a decision? Um, and a lot of times, again, they won't know. So as a seller, you kind of go in there and you maybe propose some things. Would you want to do this sort of trial or evaluation? Would you want to do a pilot? What's kind of the first step? Do you have some sort of questionnaire? Do you want to see a demo from us? Who needs to be involved in that demo? Once we give the first demo, who maybe would need to be on the second demo? Are there technical people that need to be involved? Are there other stakeholders that need to be involved? Are they going to kind of split out and start doing their own evaluations? Okay, so this team is going to evaluate this part of the software, and this team is going to be evaluating a different part of the software. So what actually goes into that decision process? Once you understand that, then you're going to be able to back out the timelines. But I think the problem with asking the timeline question is that most people just say, yeah, I want this as soon as possible. Or, yeah, I want to try to get it done by the end of September. But then you actually dive into your into their decision process and you kind of map it out on paper and you say, well, listen, you're not going to be able to make a decision by the end of September if you need to go through these eight steps with all of these different stakeholders and different teams in order to get there. So then you can actually help kind of drive the timelines, drive the deal uh, if you really understand the process. So for decision criteria, it's always also something that's worked for me is I've broken down decision usually into two metrics or two independent parts, right? So decision A and decision B, there could be more, obviously, as the the bigger the enterprise sales, the more complicated the decision process is realistically, or the decision criteria also is, right? But simple rule of thumb is try to break it down into, I think, product or solution and economic, right? Is the solution correct? Have you provided the right information has the right demo been done etc so you take out product out of it and then okay then you go to economic decision is like okay do we have the right budget do you have the budget internally already approved etc right so don't try don't try to get everything into one this try to kind of break it down into product and economic i think that would really help understand um, the decision criteria better yeah, exactly. I mean, and there's two D's here, right? You're you're right. It's kind of decision process and decision criteria, and they kind of work together, right? So you you want to kind of understand what is that decision criteria? I like to just ask them, right? I mean, you know, clearly you're looking at competitors. 
what are the types of things that you're evaluating? Price is going to be one component of that. But you'll hear from people, right? That maybe in some cases they're more price sensitive, in other cases they, you know, the price isn't isn't as big of a deal, right? Or or they're they're looking for other sorts of kind of commitments or terms. Um, you know, some people just have like things that are just kind of a non-starter starter, right? We need unlimited users, or we need um, you know, it to be on this data center, or we need this level of GDPR compliance. And so those then become your boxes that you can check on the decision criteria. And then the decision process is, okay, how do you actually go through and evaluate each of these things? So are you going to have a security compliance team that needs to kind of evaluate these set of criteria? Um, you know, if you are looking for, um, you know, certain functionality, how are you going to go and evaluate that, right? Are you going to do a test project or, are you going to have a, a set of users come in and trial it? What's the timeline for that? How busy are they? When are they going to be able to get into the system? What are they looking for in order to make that decision? So you kind of have these two Ds that are working together to basically give you a roadmap, right? What do I need to show them and by when in order to close the deal and give myself the best shot at winning it? Absolutely. And again, even in the process, I think I think we overcomplicate it sometimes. Um, it's, uh, if you don't know, I think people just get carried away when the product is a fit, right? Um, and I've seen this, the excitement level from a seller's perspective is like, you know what? I've, my, our product works perfect for this buyer's problem, right? Mm -hmm. The minute you hit that, you have this euphoria and you're like, you know what? This is a done deal for me, right? This is absolutely done. I'm, I can I can rely on this. But actually, until you don't know the entire process of purchase within that organization, it's going to be really sad for you when it goes to procurement and it's stuck there for three That's months, it. right? You don't you don't know how this entire process or forget about procurement that comes in our next P. Uh, but even the decision making internally, right? There is a high chance that this has to be submitted to the economic buyer. He's going to have a meeting right. with the stakeholders, then the budget. So you really need to know that the product fit is just one of the criteria. Right. I, I, I really want everybody to think deeper than just a product fit. It's the And for enterprise sales specifically, all of these things matter. And that's the only time you can direct your deal or you can actually see where this is headed right um yeah and you won't you won't be surprised honestly if you know if you know all this information you won't be surprised you'll be ready you would be able to predict your revenue better you can go back to your leaders and say you know what i know this deal is almost at this particular stage and i i foresee this coming in at this particular time rather than going to a, a revenue meeting and saying you know what this client loves our stuff this is going to come in this month well where is it, right? It's not coming. Right? And, that's and that's the downside to ban, right? Is like people get over optimistic about it because you, you look at needs uh, and, and basically, you know, they tell you, okay, I need advanced randomization. I need data quality checks and I need to be able to do a max dip. And the sales rep looks at that and says, we can do all those <laughs> things. This is a done deal. This deal is done. We've won it, right? Okay, check all the boxes. <laughs> Let's go. And it's forecast and everything else. But what you're not realizing is like, how are you going to make a decision on those three aspects? Um, right. It's more than just having it, right? What's the competition involved? How are you going to decide which is better? Is it usability? Is it support? You know, that advanced randomization, is there a survey that you're going to want to conduct that you conduct on your last platform that we can show you exactly how to implement it on our platform? So I think that's really a big part of MedPick is that, 
you know, it, it, it really helps you get very realistic about where you are actually in the deal versus getting right. over optimistic about it. Right. It's like, okay, you know, I have all these needs and we can check all those boxes, but are we actually going to be able to, do we actually know how they're going to make the decision and what they're going to make right. the decision based on? And then obviously you're in a, you're in a much less optimistic place, right? Because, okay, you've got those three things that but the way that they're going to evaluate it and the way that they're going to you know, go about making the decision is maybe much harder than you originally assumed. So you've got more work to do. Absolutely. And that's, that's the whole point of having this discussion is to make sellers understand where the, where the deal lies realistically. Is it going to come in? Is it what, how much more effort do I have to put in to get this deal to the finish line? And exactly. like, like Asim said, and I'm trying to explain to everybody is, Product fit is just 25%. I swear, let's, I'm not even going to give it any more value than 25%. Uh, the solution fit is only 25%. Rest of it is all the other frills that go along with it. So moving to the next one, that's P. So go for it, Asim. Yes. So P, you know, a lot of people, this is kind of the difference between med pick and medic, right? Is that a lot of people in medic just put the P in the D, the um, decision process, right? So, right? so P is basically the paper process. So it can be a part of the decision process. But the reason why you like to pull it out is because it tells the seller that there is a process around getting the paperwork done. And again, in the small transactional deals, we assume that They've made the decision and that's it. My job is done. I can forecast it for this month. It's coming in. But when you pull out the P and you really try to understand what is your paper process, once you've made the decision, what does it actually take to get a signature on the piece of paper? And most sellers will realize, oh, actually, it's still, in some cases, a two to eight week process from the time that you, they say, yes, we want to go with you. You're our selected vendor to when they can actually put a signature on paper. And why is that, right? It's got to go through legal review. There's still stuff left to be done with security and compliance. Um, procurement has to get involved and kind of do their final, you know, crossing T's, dotting I's, doing final negotiations. Um, maybe the person that you thought was going to sign is not actually the signer. It needs to go to somebody else. And they're just getting ramped up on what this thing is that they're signing. So there's lots of stuff that goes into that last part of the process. And I think that's where a lot of... Um, over-optimistic forecasting comes in. Hey, the decision's been made. So this deal is going to get th done this month. I was going to tell you that. Everybody's like, you know what? This is coming in. This is coming in on the 28th. This is definitely exactly. coming in. Well, it's exactly. the next month. And it's again the 20th. And you're still talking about the same deal. Uh, exactly. So clearly, you need to know the paper trail also, how long it takes. And some of it is actually not... I don't think it's... Uh, it's predictable also. So I've, and this has happened to me from experience wherein the buyers have said that, you know what, our, our procurement takes like two weeks, right? And we should have yeah. this over to you, but it takes six weeks, right? Uh, because the buyers themselves don't know what's happening in procurement. They're exactly. very far apart. They're very exactly. far apart. Someone else is leading with procurement. Procurement has its own KPIs, by the way, that they need to make sure that they are checking so that they don't get in trouble, right? And the buyer has no idea what that is. Uh, so the buyer could tell you that it's two weeks, but don't take them at face value until you don't actually communicate with somebody from procurement or someone who's taking the paperwork from point A to point B. You really will not know how long this is going to take.
Exactly. Exactly. And remember, band, you ask for the timeline, they tell you, right? MedPick is all about them not necessarily telling you, but you working it out with them. And your point is absolutely right. With the paperwork, in most cases, the seller goes through this process far more than the buyer does, right? Because you're selling these deals, you're doing five of these a month, right? And so you see the paper process at enterprises every single week, you're seeing how it works. Your champion, your buyer, maybe only buys something for their organization once every three years. There's, there's a the majority likelihood is that they've actually never gone through a paper process at their organization before. Exactly. So they don't know, right? So when they say, I mean, first of all, they may not even know, right? Oh, it has to go to procurement. <laughs> it has to go to legal, right? So you're kind of flagging that with them and saying, hey, how does it work at your company? They might say, okay, I've got to go find the answer. But then they come back to you and they say, you know, yeah, procurement will take a week, right? Or, or you know, I was working with this bank here in the UK. Yeah, you know, sometimes we can kind of get security privacy done in two weeks, right? And as a seller, right. that's where you start to go and say, well, listen, from what I've seen with companies that are look like you or your size or in your industry, typically security and compliance takes four to eight weeks. Procurement typically takes four to six weeks. Are you right. confident that your procurement process is only going to take two weeks? And you push back on them and you push back on them and you say, is that actually accurate? Can you go find out about that? Let them almost be teaching them, be coaching them through what this process actually looks like. Because frankly, it's in your favor, but it's also in their favor, right? If they want to go live at the end of September and they're doing themselves a disservice thinking that procurement is going to take two weeks, well, you might as well just get realistic with them up front. And say, hey, listen, procurement usually takes four weeks at a company like yours. Do you have a commitment from them that they're going to get it done by the end of September? If not, we should think about revisiting our go-live date and what that might mean for you and your business objectives if that go-live date slips from the end of September to the middle of October. And many a times the buyer is actually not getting that information from procurement. They're getting it from their colleagues or they're getting it from their boss. It's like, yeah, it'll get done in two weeks, man. Correct. They're not even, Correct. they're not getting that information from the right source. So I can yeah. guarantee you exactly. that information is incorrect. Exactly. They asked somebody of theirs that works in a completely exactly. different department. Oh yeah, I did. You know, I bought something three years ago. It took two weeks in procurement, right? It was a completely different scenario, completely different economic buyer. It was already budgeted. It wasn't, it was a different budget item. So you've got to push exactly. back, right? You've got to really, really question them and continue to kind of figure out, okay, where are my risks in each of these kind of eight letters that you can continue to kind of pull out? Fantastic. Let's go to the next one. That's the I. So then we go to I, implicate pain, right? So, you know, this is where, again, we're we're not asking for a timeline. We're kind of driving the timeline between the decision process, the paper process, and the implication of pain, right? So if you know the metrics, you're looking for, what does it cost you? What's the pain if you don't get this done? And then you're just constantly revisiting that, right? So let's say that um, they need this software in order to do a big study that they need to get done in October in order to make a big decision before their next year planning. So that's the pain, right? Is if we miss that September date, you're not going to be able to run that study. You're not going to be able to get your stakeholders the information that they need to make a decision by the end of the year. And then you just keep on revisiting that pain, right? You keep on implicating that, hey, what's it mean to you if we slip? What if we don't hit this date? What happens if you don't choose a vendor? How much time and money are you going to lose? And you keep on coming back to that throughout your entire sales cycle so that they know and they don't forget that 
there's a reason why they're having this conversation, right? There's a lot of work that goes into these deals from both sides, from the seller's side, but also from the buyer's side. And they kind of need to be reminded, why am I spending this amount of time on it? Why is this important? Um, and what happens if it doesn't get done, right? I think you've probably seen this in a lot of deals where you take six months, nine months, 12 months going and, and working through a solution. And at the end of it, they're kind of like, you know what? Maybe we'll do it next year. It's just not that big of a right. need right now, right? Well, okay, there was no pain there to begin with, right? There was no good right. reason to actually get the deal done. And, um, and so you wasted a lot of time. <laughs> because no, and and to, add, to add to that, fear of loss is higher than fear of or the advantage right. of gain, right? Um, and not that you obviously try to create fear. That's not what I'm trying to drive. But when you implicate pain, you really need to firstly, for you to even implicate pain, you need to know, you need to be able to quantify. So you need to go back to the framework and you need to know the metrics, right? You need to know right. without knowing the metrics, how are you going to implicate the pain, right? Uh, timelines could be one, but if you're missing timeline, what is the dollar value that you're going to be affected, right? What is the metric? So if you can dot this out and you can join the dots, I think that's when this becomes really interesting that, okay, if we miss timeline, we are going to be at a loss of X amount of dollars. Now you have the timeline, which is the time frame as well as a dollar value. So you have two metrics that you are kind of driving against. And that is going to really be beneficial because the seller can see these two metrics and say, you know what, we need to make sure that this gets done within this particular timeline or we're going to be at a loss. Right. Exactly. Um, so again, to get to the implicate pain, you really have to do all the other steps, yeah. multiple calls, really put the picture together in your head first. Only then can you actually reiterate this to the to your buyer saying that this is why um, this is this is the loss that you're going to occur if you don't if we don't get this done exactly. within the time frame. Exactly. And 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 the, the word pain is by design, right? It's like, you know. What does the financial loss mean? Why is it painful for you, right? So you kind of go even deeper, right? You know, the metric is that, hey, we're going to save you X hundred of thousands of dollars, but is that actually painful for you, right? I mean, is it because you've got to be your budget by a certain point? Is your bonus tied to, to your P&L and how much money you're saving? I think that's the other thing that I see a lot, right? Is like, we go into a deal you know, somebody is looking at us versus the competition and they're saying, you know what, we can save 30% by going with you. Well, is that really pain or is that just a nice metric at the end of the day? Hey, you guys can save 30%. Well, what happens if you yeah. don't save the 30%, right? What happens to you personally? What, you know, there's pain in switching, there's pain in moving. Is it worth it, right? Why is, why is that not saving that 30% actually going to be painful for you? You've got to ask yourself that question. You've got to ask them that question and you've got to find an answer to it. Otherwise, you know, maybe they're just looking at you for a competitive bid so they can go back and renegotiate with their current vendor that's actually preferred, right? Like if there's no pain, then, then what's actually driving the situation, right? I mean, sure, saving a few bucks or maybe gaining a few, um, you know, a few, uh, some, some revenue, right? But is that actually painful really for the matter. person you're talking to? That's the question. No, and... I, according to me, at least implication of pain is probably the most complex part of this framework. Um, because, and like I mentioned before, is without knowing the clear picture of 
pain could actually not just be monetary it could actually be that you know somebody's up for a promotion and if they if they yeah. deliver a project in time at at this scale um they could get they could be eligible for that promotion right you need to be able exactly. to have that level of conversation now that is the pain not for the buyer not getting that promotion is painful you really at this point 30% 40% 100% savings because it's easy you know he's not saving this for himself right it's for the company no one really cares about the company savings exactly uh but he does care about he or she they do care about their promotion right um exactly. they do care about what is going to happen to them when they deliver this deal so see if you can get to that level right i think that would be really beneficial for you and you know now what you need to do to make this person successful and that brings us to the next part of the framework which is c which is champion so go for it exactly exactly so just like you said right it's like who is the person that you're working with who are you trying to make successful who's your champion that's actually going to help you navigate through the company um the clients or the prospects organization um so it's you know i think that's a it's a big piece of this is you've got to separate those two things that usually the economic buyer is different from the champion Right. Um, and you've got to identify that, right? I mean, in a lot of cases, a seller will get optimistic about a deal where they don't even have a champion, right? Because again, when you go through band and you're like, okay, I'm talking to an economic buyer and we can fulfill all their needs. So this is a done deal. But is there actually somebody who's excited on their end? Uh, is there somebody who's responding to your WhatsApps and your emails because they want your solution? Is there somebody going to bat for you? So when they look at the competition, they're saying, you know what, we actually want to go with you and here's why. Um, so this is a good one where, you know, there's kind of the binary to it, which is like, do you have a champion in the first place? But then there's also that, how strong is my champion? How much are they rooting for me? Have they told me that you are my preferred vendor and now it's time for us to go partner up and convince everybody else? That's really what you're looking for in your champion. And you want to make sure that they stay there because it's almost like a canary in a coal mine, right? right. Like they're going to be, early warning sign that something's going wrong, right? And that person's, right. their excitement level is going to change throughout the deal cycle. So they could be really excited about you in the first place. They're your champion. They love you. But then you get two months into the deal and you start to see their excitement waning, right? Maybe somebody else from the team with more seniority likes something else. Well, do you still have a champion? If not, likelihood is not, you're not going to win that deal. So maybe you need to find a new champion. Or maybe you need to go back to your champion and get them to understand, okay, why are you losing excitement? Where is this thing going? How do we get back on track? And these are these are signs that can be identified quite easily, I think, um, if you pay attention, right? Um, for example, let's say you've managed to get on a text with your, 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 your WhatsApping or you're on a text basis with your champion and suddenly, you know what, they're not responding to you. Okay, interesting, good sign. But you now need to say that, you know what, something is going down here, right? You need to find out what is it and you need to you need to come clean with your champion saying, hey man, um, I remember we spoke, what can we do to kind of get, get this back on track or is there anything I can help you with and so on, right? And the other part is maybe there's someone else championing some other solution, right? Right. Is your, is your champion better than the other champion is also... Again, very hard to find out, but with deep questions and spending enough time with your buyer, you should be able to find out that, you know what, who, how big is the team? Who all are responsible for this project? Um, is there another solution that has maybe, maybe the director of uh, research likes 
a, a competitive product and you he still told you to go find a solution that is, that falls within the budget so are you on is this is is your buyer on just a hunt for something that's never going to happen right um or is there a colleague of his that is doing research on a, a different solution how how powerful or is that champion right um so obviously trying to find out if there are multiple and that brings us to the next part which is the competition but within that itself you you need to find out if your champion is the sole owner of this project or are there multiple people involved who are bringing different solutions to the table right um and that brings us to the next part of and the final part of the framework which is the c um and that is competition exactly exactly so knowing who your competition is um you know understanding where they are and then making sure that you build kind of a plan against the competition right so once you know who the competition is well you've got to then figure out okay what are our strong points what are their weaknesses and how do we implicate implicate pain against our strengths how do we make sure that our strengths are a big part of the decision criteria so that it's very clear that when they go through that evaluation that hey that one place where we are have a really big strength and the competitor doesn't have it at all well that's going to be a primary point in their decision making and you know that well we're going to win on that because you know that's where right. our strength is our competitor doesn't have that item um so you have to keep the competition in mind right and and you kind of have to design a battle plan that says okay here are the two or three differentiators that we're really going to highlight throughout this process because we know the competition is not strong on those three or four pieces and then you're constantly implicating those pains and making sure that those are part of the decision criteria to give yourself the best shot against the competition also to add to that is competition is not always external right it could be internal competition also maybe somebody can build a solution like this right um happens quite frequently that everyone is trying to go find a vendor for a solution but there is that one person in the company who's trying to build this in house you will always there always be that one cio there'll be one head of technology who says that you know what and i'm telling you from personal experience even in all the deals there have been so many times where people said what if we do this in house right and this happens especially when it's a six figure deal right when you're when you are five figures six figures when you're when you're hit that level all these other kind of things come into question is that do we want to go with a vendor or do we want to build this in house now that is also competition for you friend like that Absolutely. is probably more competition than your external vendor also because now when you start building in house you can build a solution that is probably on point and probably cheaper but the risk of failure is extremely high when you try to do these things right um and again it's not scalable there's a whole different things now you can change your strategy right now you know that someone's trying this in house now i change the conversation to how effective it is to go with an external vendor rather than doing it in house right so trying to understand don't just underestimate competition to be the next external vendor try to find out if there's something happening internally where that is also your competition right um exactly. and that that will give you a better sense and that will give you a good idea of how you need to change your strategy um and especially you can just do a and when it's external vendors you can do a swot analysis for both internal or external okay find out what are the strengths what are the weaknesses and then pivot against that but the one thing that and i've asked this to all the 
people that have reported out to me and when i'm trying to ask them about competition the single answer that i always get back from 90% of the people is that you know what the competition is this other company that we are competing with right mm-hmm. but and then when when actually you start talking to the prospect or you try to find out and in the end is like oh they built it in house i'm like okay how was that not competition right how was that is actually bigger competition than your than the external vendor right so for everybody listening out there try to find out internal competition as well as external competition in the world of saas it really really matters absolutely and and that competition can look different too right it can be internal you know maybe you think that you're only competing against other you know software technologies you could be competing against agencies managed service exactly. providers consultants um internal processes and you can see how all these things work together right you know if you're if you're competing maybe they're actually only looking at you as the one saas vendor so there's no point right. going and emphasizing in the decision criteria we've got this feature and this feature and this feature that the competition doesn't have because Well, if the competition has built it, well, then they can build those features, right? So then you got to go and look elsewhere. How long is it going to take? What's the risk involved in building those features? What's it going to cost to maintain them? Uh, what do you lose when you don't have an ongoing deployment process that you'll get with uh, with going with us um, or an agency, right? What's you know, hey, they can do everything, right? They can check all the boxes. They can do everything we can. But how much longer is it going to take? How many hoops do you have to jump through? Are you going to get your own access to the data, or do you always need to go ask for? for something that should then be part of the decision criteria if you know that that's going to be part of the uh, the competition absolutely an agency is a big is i think the most frequent one because when you adopt any solution you need resources internally to make that successful um it's almost impossible that you can commit to a particular solution and nobody internally is going to work on it and it's just magically going to fit into your company right it's not going to work that way um there is going to be some level of internal and external um workforce that is going to be required to make this successful this is when an agency solution comes up is like you know what let's just give it to these guys and they'll take care of the whole thing we don't need really need to worry about it right uh so that is competition for you so you need to find out what these other competitions are apart from just a product competition that you have in the market So awesome I think we've covered we've covered the entire framework and we are we are also out of time and I I think the first part of it also was how it helps you as a leader kind of understand uh predictable revenue so I think we did cover that uh, right when we started so thank you Asim for kind of walking us through the entire framework in detail uh and I'll see you around Absolutely Ari thanks for having me this was fun